0: Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and we are broadcasting live from Roberta's at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn, where brunch is now being served. Today, uh, my guest is on the phone. His name is Peter Pringle. Um, he is the editor of the participant guide for A Place at the Table, the recently released documentary about hunger in America, uh, but for the last... but. For the prior, prior 30 years, Peter was a correspondent for the Sunday Times, the Observer, and the Independent, working in Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and the former Soviet Union, as well as the United States. He's also written for several U.S. newspapers and magazines, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and the New Republic. Among his many books, the most recent, besides this project, is Experiment 11, about the discovery of streptomycin. Um, and before that, he was on this program for the murder of Nikolai Vavilov, um, which was all about uh, seed saving and seed banks. Um, Food Inc. He also did the participant guide for that movie, um, as well as Day of the Dandelion, and those are real bullets. Welcome to the program, Peter. It's great to have you back. How are you?
2: Hi, Katie. Good to see. you Good to hear you. I, um, just one quick thing. I, I wasn't actually the producer of the Food Inc. book, but I had an essay in it.
1: Oh, you had an essay in it. Oh, yeah. for some well, reason okay. I thought you had okay. edited. No problem. As well no problem. as the, as this one. Um, so, I guess my question is first: is like, how do you get into a project like this when they when they make a documentary? Do they commission a book to go with? It? I mean, wh- how did you get involved in these things?
2: Well, they make the documentary, and then they, <clears throat> when they finish, they um, try and find somebody who will um, put together a book in three months. Mm. <laughs> um,
1: and that would be you, being as how you're used to working <laughs> on deadlines. So. That
2: was me this time around, that's right. <laughs> Lucky you. I know, I know. And, and the documentary is great. I have to say that. Uh, please go and see it. You know, oh, yeah. It's one, everybody I haven't seen, seen it, it
1: yet, but where is it? Where is it playing? Well, it's
2: on at Sunshine and also at Lincoln Center, I think.
1: Oh, okay. I'm right near Lincoln Center, so I definitely will go yeah. to that. Maybe I'll do it this afternoon. Um, so when you do these literary companions, like how how does that... Um how did you decide what to include and what to exclude, I guess? Or you get the people to write their essay, the people who have been interviewed or I mean, some of them were really very um erudite and others were just kind of anecdotal. It was kind of, it was an interesting mix. And it and it brought the way you put it together made it a really sort of full picture, which I liked a lot about it. Having not seen the movie yet, I, it was very um comprehensive to me.
2: Well, you know, we we were able of course we're able to do things which the um movie people can't do. We can go back into history and yeah. we can um, have discussions and we can have, um, you know, personal stories um, of many people as they can only have three or four or something like that. Um, so basically, it it is based on the movie. So we have um, most of the people um, out of the 20 essayists or something who are actually um, in the book um, had something to say in the movie, uh-huh. um, but we were able to take it further, um, forwards and backwards. And I guess uh, uh, one that comes to mind is Marion Nestle, who's the famous New York oh, we love here. nutritionist. She's, she's, she's been on your show program. many times, I yes, guess. Yes, she has indeed. Um, and, um, you know, so in the movie, she comes on and she says, um, do you realize that uh, the, the reason that people are eating this um, Uh, junk food these days is because the cost since 1980, the cost of fresh vegetables has increased by 40% and the cost of processed foods has declined by 40%. Mm. And the result is that, you know, someone has a limited amount of money uh, to spend on food, they're going to pick the cheapest calories and those are to be found in processed foods. But then we can take it, you know, onwards and upwards and downwards and roundabout and say, you know, how did this how did we get to this point, and how many calories are we actually consuming now compared with what we consumed in 1970, right. etc.? So we just broaden it, basically.
1: And, and is that what you do as the editor? Is that how you would— know, I ask you
2: would... them to do that, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, part, partly that. I, I, I partly pick pieces, which either I've seen they've already written or ask them to extend it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a lot of fun, and I learned an enormous amount, I must say, myself on this, because although I know a bit about agriculture and biotech foods and stuff like that, I, I just didn't know anything about this aspect of it. Well,
1: I think most of us didn't. I mean, since that um, sort of seminal documentary was produced in, the, I guess it was the 70s, Hunger in America? Is that right?
2: Um, Yes. I think that was the uh, last time we in looked Michael at... Harrington's book. Yes. The Other America. And then, then there was a CBS documentary.
1: Yeah.
2: And then 20 years later, there's another documentary <laughs> done, by, done by Jeff Bridge. It seems to run in cycles. And that was during the Reagan administration.
1: Yes. And the that's... cuts,
2: welfare cuts there. And here we are, um, you know, the post Great Recession, we're back again.
1: Yeah, I know. I think it's fascinating. I mean, to me, that was the most interesting aspect of the book were the essays that dealt with things like the um, socio political aspects of, of hunger and what, what really has, um, you know, the fact that we almost beat hunger back in the 70s. Um, right. And then when the Reagan administration came in and made all those cuts to benefits, um, that sort of sp- continued so to spiral. And then with the recession, it became that much worse.
2: That's right. That's right. So, so then, then, we you know, we, you come full circle every... Every 20 years, I say, basically. Um, But, you know, I mean, I was able also to pick out um, certain things that weren't in the film Uh um, and expand on those. Um, They mentioned food deserts, for example. Yes, Um, Those things that exist, uh, some people say, in our minds, but actually they're reality. And if you you know, live in a city and you can't find a store within a mile that sells a banana or fresh produce, then you're in a food desert.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting the way that was uh, totally broken down so that you really did understand why it was called a food desert.
2: Yeah, Because people can't
1: get there. No, you
2: can't. And, you know, uh, we produce 10 billion pounds of apples uh, each year in this country, and some people just can't find one.
1: Yeah, which is Um, just amazing. I mean, you know, especially since we live in New York, and you know, there's a a wealth of of bounty for most of us. But even in New York City, I think it's pretty clear that there's some serious food deserts. Yeah. Um, But I thought the thing that was really compelling to me about that chapter was um, was kind of imagining if you lived in a smaller rural area and you were literally driving 45 minutes each way to
2: get to a supermarket. Well, this is what you'll see in the film, and it's done very well in the film because they go down to Mississippi. And, uh, um, you know, the poorest state, et cetera, yeah. um, which has the highest rates of obesity and uh, food insecurity. And you have to hop in a car if you happen to have one right. um, to go 45 minutes to the nearest supermarket where you will find a banana or a, if you're lucky, you know. Right.
1: Or a head um, of lettuce. Yeah.
2: So, uh, yeah, it was it's and um, I but I also thought, that, well, well, um, one of the one, one of the things i didn 't know about and one something that surprised me um, were well, i guess two things uh, the first is that um, the amount of charity that is in operation for emergency food supplies yeah. and secondly what it doesn 't cover uh-huh. um, for example, <clears throat> you know you have uh, i think the figures are something like three point three billion pounds of food um, are given out to 37 million people uh, by the largest charity in America, which is called Feeding America. Mm -hmm. Um, And it used to be called Second Harvest. That's probably what people remember it by before it went very big. Mm. Um, But, you know, as Joel Berg points out, that only covers one-fifteenth of the emergency food that is given to people who are on food stamps and in low income, or right. to, put it, to put it another way, as Andy Fisher did um, in his essay, that if you multiply what they give out by six, it'll only cover uh, one week per month in the year.
0: Oh my
2: gosh! Um, so everything that's else staggering. has to be everything else has to be provided by the government.
1: Yeah,
2: and that's why you have um, right now a crisis, as we. Put it in the subtitle of you know forty nine million people. Actually, it's just gone up to fifty uh, million people who um, there are forty seven million people on food stamps, and then there are three who are not actually on food stamps, but they're eligible for food stamps. So you just call it around fifty million. You know, yeah, if you think of and and
1: a great majority of that is children, right?
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, that was really shocking. Actually, Joel Berg's essay was my favorite one in the book. How about you? Did you have a favorite?
2: Um. I can't say that, can no. I? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> don't want to, don't want, want to offend any of my 20 years. Well, yet. no, I mean, they
1: were all terrific, but, I mean, uh, you know, it was it No, was it, was was, it was
2: terrific, and, uh, you know, he goes back and he says, well, I mean, he's making the case for this is a government problem. Right. And mm. uh, he says, you know, I mean, we used to have typhoid, and we used to have cholera, and, um, uh, and uh, the government got rid of it. Yeah. So now we have hunger, and if it's seen, as it should be, First of all, it should be, you should have a right to food, in my view. And secondly, you know, uh, the government clearly has an obligation to make sure that people are not hungry. Um, and so it's a public health problem.
1: Yes, that's what It turns what I see. very quickly
2: into a public health problem um, when, if you start eating the wrong food, because that's the only one, that's all you can afford, yeah. uh, you become obese. And then you really have a public health problem.
1: Well, I think that's, I mean, to me, that was the takeaway of this, of the whole... Project not that, again i haven't seen the movie, but just reading the book was that <clears throat> this is truly a public health problem, and um, kind of like you know the way the government made us all wear seat belts, um, right. you know people should be entitled to or should be really almost obligated to eat well um, because it costs us a hell of a lot of money to deal with it otherwise. I mean, if well, you want to look at it just from the, not even a humanitarian point of view, but just from a nuts and bolts economics point of view, yeah,
2: well, the figure they put on it is one hundred and seventy billion in a year.
1: A year, yeah. Oh my God, I mean that's staggering, and it's I know. insane. I know, I know. And, it, and 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 it's cruel.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, it's just
2: like it's- and and you know when when you go to this this so so what is anybody doing about it? You might ask. So yes, um, I do ask. So every every <laughs> five years, Congress is you know, for example, reauthorizes the Child Nutrition Act, which yes. determines the funding and guidelines for school meals, breakfast, lunch and after meals, Summer and programs, those et vacation yeah. meals, right? Yeah. Uh, so the last time they did this was in 2010. Yeah. And there are congressional hearings, and these, um, <coughs> you know, people, uh, <laughs> if, they turn up, if they turn up to the congressional committee, um, <coughs> uh, you know, listen to some very compelling and emotional testimony. Uh, for example, you know, From the top down, Tom Vilsack, it was the last time he appeared, he's Secretary of Agriculture. Yes. And he said, you know, in a country as strong and as rich and as powerful as ours, we have youngsters who are going hungry. What's going on? Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why Harry Truman established the school lunch program in 1946. Yes. uh, Because he recognized that, you know, if we're going to have a strong country, we have to have strong youth. Yes. Um... But uh, and so they were then advocating, and Tom Galicchio, who's one of the producers of the he's the he's the top chef person and on television, and he's also uh, you know he owns Kraft in New York. Sure, we know Tom, um, <laughs> and he's he's a terrific advocate for increasing the nutritional value of school meals
1: yes and he is Um, not alone amongst his chefly brethren by the way
2: that's right (laughs) exactly and so anyway so so up he gets at the congressional hearing and he says you know um, this is really ridiculous we you actually if you cut out all the it's two dollars and seven 76 cents a person whatever that Mm -hmm. small tiny prices by the time you've taken everything away people bringing it taking it away washing it up and all the rest of it uh, it's about, you know, it's a few cents per meal.
1: It's about 98 cents now, and it and right. that was a rise from 92 cents. Um, right. Before they reauthorized this. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. Keep so anyway,
2: on. so, so, the, so he's, he's making the case, as did others, uh, that what you've got to do is to increase the nutritional value. Right. And so they say, oh, yes, well, we can do that. Well, wait a minute. Um, uh, let's see. How much do you want? So, well, you know, if you were going to make a proper. A meal of it, as it were, uh, are about 4.5 billion for the next five years. Yeah, I think we can do that. Can we do that? You know, Senator Congressman, can we do that? Yes, yes, of course. Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It has to be paid for. So where are we going to get the money from? Oh, well, let's just take it out of food stamps. <laughs>
1: right. And yeah. that's what they did. Yeah, that was astonishing. That's what they did. Yeah, took it out of food stamps. Great. So then the kids who were at home who aren't in school yet, or mom and dad, they go hungry instead of. Yeah, and and still the kids, the meals in schools, <coughs> excuse me, are are still pretty subpar, unless you know it's in a particular school that has embraced the idea of bringing in chefs and and has re- retrofitted their uh, you know their kitchen to supply themselves with some um, you know cooking equipment, for instance, right. you know with burners instead of just deck ovens, and that's right, uh, you know, that's
2: and as right. you know, as Jan Popendi pe- um, points out in her piece about the ABCs of school lunch. You know, um there are you know five point seven billion of um uh, lunches every year and two thirds of them are free and greatly reduced prices. Yeah. Uh to, um but then there are others who, you know, um slip round the back where the school in order to make money for to make the lunches, because the you know, that it's costly and they don't and maybe they're not being allocated enough by the local authority. Right. Um, they're making money out of selling junk food. Yeah. To kids who can afford it,
1: right? Well, hence the vending machine issue in in schools. Yeah, I mean that the way when those came in, that was just sort of the you know (laughs) that was one of the death knells to sort of nutritional. No, no, um, no, it's hopeless. Yeah, it's bad. Anyway, Peter, we must take a very short break um, for a sponsor drop. Please stay on the phone with me, and um, we'll be right back with Peter Pringle, the editor of um, the companion guide to A Place at the Table.
0: this one's called crying blues by the california honey drops on heritageradio network.org This is Chris Howell from Kane Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to the show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit kane 5com
1: Welcome back to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Katie Kiefer, and my guest on the phone is Peter Pringle, uh, the editor of the Participants Guide for A Place at the Table, the recently released documentary about hunger in America. Um, Peter, one of the things that um, after I you know finished reading the book, right. um, you know there were a lot of recipes. You know, I I'll use that food metaphor. There were a lot of recipes for improving the lot of the hungry, but um, they all seemed predicated on making decisions about those improvements at the legislative level. And it was Joel Berg's essay, which, you know, was particularly compelling on that level. And I, you know, much as I, and I see this actually all throughout the food movement. Um, I see, you know, a lot of people talking about what should, shoulda, coulda, woulda, um, and yet, without that legislative body uh, coming along for the ride, as it were, um, it doesn't seem like anything can ever really change. So what, what, how did you feel at the end of this? Do you feel like this documentary is going to raise enough awareness to really push people to, you know, force Congress to authorize more than a six cents rise in, in the Child Nutrition Act or, you know, take the funding from someplace other than SNAP benefits? I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of uh, daunting.
2: Yes. I know it is daunting it's, uh, and very depressing. Of course, there is um, in the movie there is uh, uh, Marion uh, Nestle who addresses this problem, and um, then uh, also there's Witnesses to Hunger, the group um, started by Mariana Chilton in uh, right. in uh, Philadelphia, and um, she took um, mothers who were uh, single mums who were on food stamps or had just got off them and still experiencing problems. And as voices to Congress, took them up to Congress and said, you know, here's what it's like to live on food. Wasn't style. she the
1: one who put the 30 cameras, 30 yeah, little video right. cameras that's into right. the hands that's right. of these women who were
2: struggling? And it was absolutely terrific um, operation. And she mm-hmm. put them all on the bus, took them up to Congress, and, and um, they had an exhibition uh, of their pictures that they'd taken, um, and, you know, it's that's what it's about, basically. You be a squeaky wheel, you know, and, and give a voice to the people who don't have one. Yeah. Uh, that's really the only way this is going to change. And, and the most impressive voice, I think, for politicians, having spent 10 years in Washington at one point, are the ones who are actually affected by these programs, rather than the lobbyists who uh-huh. go... Um because you know, that always tends to get a bit lost in large documents that they never read. Um, to read. I don't myself. know, but anyway they don't read it, we know that. <laughs> yeah, um so do if that. you actually have a person there who says, you know, I'm on food service and I can't do it. It's yeah. not it's not credible. It's, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, you have to do something about it. So that's the that's the way to go, really.
1: I guess it is. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's a great idea. But I, I, I know that plenty of people, including um, that project with Marion Chilton, uh, you know, has have taken the case to Congress. And yet somehow, when the, um, you know, when the vote comes up, when the budget is discussed, um, you know, the idea that people are hungry just doesn't seem to register. And the cost of that of the diseases that are related to being hungry, and they not they are not just exclusively about being obese or having no. diabetes I mean they include like basic. You know, things, I mean, maybe not quite scurvy, but sort of borderline, you know, nutritional deficiencies that do affect the development of the brain of a child, for instance.
2: That's right, that's right.
1: And, you know, you want, uh, there's there's all this talk in Congress about how, you know, the youth has to be, um, you know, we want to be the first forever and blah, blah, blah. And yet there's absolutely nothing um, that would translate into action, um, in, in my opinion, to what they're That's doing.
2: Right. Right. I mean, one sort of jolt can come from taking it out of the context that we're talking about, i.e. America, and say, in the rest of the world, what's going on? You know? yeah. How do they cope? Well, um, you know, the answer is that they are all thinking about, in the developing world, what's the way of putting agricultural policies with um, economic and social policies and coming up with Some answer that will cope with um, how to, um, you know,
1: how to get nutritional food. How to to get nutritional food to to the 870
2: million who suffer from hunger every day outside of America, to the half a billion who are obese and susceptible to non-communicable diseases. And I was fascinated the other day to see because I get the UN Food and Agriculture press releases and Mm -hmm. things, and there was a headline said, "World not coping." as well as it should with change in diets. Wait a minute, what's all this about?
1: Yeah, good question.
2: Um, Well, they were looking to fund a project of the uh, the University in the Netherlands to study the impact of agricultural policies and economic policies and health policies, all together, so put the whole thing together. So we need, basically, an integrated nutritional strategy Uh uh, formed with the import as the... I think he was the head of the, that particular section anyway, I think he said formed with the imp, inputs of society as a whole, you know, private sector, consumers, doctors, consumer organizations, um, large corporations, out, get them all together. Um, because otherwise we're not going to solve this problem. It doesn't, it's not solved by giving huge subsidies to large farmers uh, large, uh, agric- in, in the agricultural bill and the farm bill. No. Just, it just hasn't worked. The market did not take over. Um, So really, I suppose, you know, as Marion Nestle sometimes says, you know, we need a Department of Food Policy.
1: Yes. We don't have one.
2: We have an agriculture uh, department, and then it does all the food stamps. It does all the subsidies. It does, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But it's not related to health Clearly, because otherwise they wouldn't have been funding, corn. you know, food that would then be processed into junk food and make us sick.
1: Well, the thing about the USDA, um, which I, you know, in the course of the last four years, I've done so much reading about our food system. Um, and I just, I feel like, uh, much like the FDA, they're kind of a paper tiger Um, they cave to the strongest interests, they are very susceptible to lobbying by large corporations, hence our various, uh, you know, subsidies for things like corn, soybeans, etc. And, um, you know, when we talk about bringing um, large corporations into the fold for, you know, I feel like the large corporations are in a large measure driving a lot of the food choices and food policy that we already have. And even though I don't see how we can resolve our issues without involving large food corporations, I also um, am very reluctant to accord them a big say in what happens. Don't you feel that way?
2: No, absolutely. In fact, if you look at um, the charities that are involved here, the the, the way they get their produce they they are donations from the food industry.
1: Yes, and that's why so much of the food that, that people see in food banks is not all that nutritious. I mean, I've been uh, this right. winter I did a lot of work in a food bank and um, you know, we were very lucky. Uh, the woman who ran the program, Christy Robb, does an amazing job of sourcing fresh produce and she really does do an amazing job. Right. But the but the bulk of the donations are, you know, are highly processed foods. That's and correct. And
2: and the and the, the people who sit on the boards of these Outfit, um, and I'm thinking of the largest now feeding America, are uh, food industry people.
1: Yeah, like guys from Cargill, from Conagra. Yeah, like those people. Yeah, and it from-
2: and it and it's a, um, you know every time they donate a can, they get a tax write off. Yes. So why not why, <laughs> not, tax, why not tax bump. them and have government you know redistribute that wealth for a can of beans um, and uh, grow instead of tomato. You yes.
1: Know? I'm I'm totally there. Well, <laughs> you know, I want to I want you to come back. Unfortunately, we have to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. Um, okay. So I want I want to give you a chance to um, talk about your website and tell people where they can buy the book and you know if you're doing any f- you know other promotion with it, et cetera, and all that oh, kind of stuff. So um, know, this is your moment to to self promote like mad.
2: Well, that's extremely <laughs> kind of you. I'll do it as fast as I can because uh, <laughs> you know, <coughs> it's, it's, and self defecating Brits don't do this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yes, of course you can buy the book. Anyway, so in all the stores on Amazon.com, and um, uh, we hope you will. Um, and uh, to let's see, what else can you see? I am hopeless at it. Okay, oh, my well, my is pr- PeterPringleAuthor.com.
1: Yes, and then you can see what other wonderful books Peter has written. And if you haven't read, but
2: the other, but the other thing is, do go see the movie. That's my main message. Yes, yeah. well, um, well, you'll be completely shocked by it. It's a very beautiful movie as, a, as well as a shocking movie, and it'll make you think more and make you want to know more, and then you can um, buy the book. <laughs>
1: right, and then you and the book, by the way, we should mention has a huge list of NGOs, non governmental operat- or organizations that um, that you can participate in, donate to, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. In fact, we had uh, Gary Oppenheimer on a couple of weeks ago for Ample Harvest, which is right. one of those organizations that you know sort of gets food from people's back gardens into food right. pantries, which I thought was a fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, the one thing I didn't get to ask you, and I'm going to just go over for a second here, but one of the essays which I really liked was the essay on mergers. And this was, oh, a, sort yeah. of a, this was a little note of hope, and I want to close the program with this. Um, <laughs> Robert Egger suggested that all of these philanthropic organizations, and, and he meant all of them, not just ones related That's to food, right. but all of them collaborate and consolidate and use their numbers and their money as ways to tip funding and legislation in the right direction, can you just like flesh that out for just a second?
2: Yeah, so very quickly. So he started idea. the DC Central Kitchen, and and oh um, right, yeah. And <clears throat> this was, you know, well, I don't know, many years ago. But anyway, and they, then he empowered the homeless people who came into the kitchen and gave them a job and yeah. made them into cooks. And it became very successful, and the models elsewhere have been, it's been copied elsewhere. Um, but he too saw that charity can't end hunger, so. Uh, his latest idea is that you, uh, a grand merger of all non-profits, to create a new world of sustainable philanthropy, um, that would, as he quotes, um, completely redesign the machine. Now, um, <coughs> I must be slightly wary of people who say things like that, but <laughs> but um, what does like he means is, is kind of some kind of revolution he's talking about. Um, but anyway, you know, non-profits, and then he then he cites the figures which make it. It seems it might even be possible. So non-profits have have the keys, and they employ 10% of the workforce. Right. They have 80 million volunteers, Um, and all of us who are parents know that, you know... At some point, our uh, offspring have been, you know, volunteers. Um, some, some of them still are unpaid and all the rest of it, interns, in what have you. But anyway, they're the biggest employer in, employer in America. So he says, merge the banking business that's inv- involved. That's merge what I like. marketing liked. power. Yeah. Uh, reward the companies that uh, are good companies and green companies and pay a decent minimum wage. And let's have a boycott, not a boycott. That's what basically he says in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I thought that was great, and I think people should think about that. And it may never happen, but it's it does let you know that there is... I mean, in numbers, we are, you know, people are... More powerful, and to to look at things as like, well, what can I do? What if I, you know, if I do this, nothing's going to change. But I think that thinking about collaborating and having organizations pool their resources is a really great idea, and I hope more people do it because there are call your congressman. (laughs) Yeah, call your congressman exactly. Well, Peter, thank you ever so much for joining me today, and um, I really hope you'll come back soon. I'd love to talk to you about your new book.
2: Well, I'd love about to talk streptomycin to streptomycin, because yeah.
1: I, I've been doing a lot of programming around antibiotics in the food chain. And okay, I have no, the terrific feeling, subject. Yeah, terrific I, subject. I have the feeling that you have much to say on this. So um, thank you to my sponsor, Kane Winery, and thanks to my wonderful engineer, Jack. Thank you, Peter Pringle, for joining me. This thank has you, been Kate. another fabulous episode of Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. Join me next week for an as yet undetermined guest, but I guarantee it'll be a fun time. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye-bye.